You're listening to the Beyond the Diagnosis podcast with your host, me, Dr. Kylie. I would be very appreciative and thank you beforehand for writing a review. These reviews help people find the podcast so they can have answers, healing, and hope. Whether you have a diagnosis or you don't, I don't care. Let's get to the why and let's unravel your body's chaos so you can start living your dreams. Yes, those dreams you've never dared to dream because what I've learned is when you're sick, you only have one dream and that's to feel better. So please take a couple minutes and write a review so your friends, your loved ones, and those who you don't even know can find this and benefit from it. Thanks again. Now let's dive in. We are here today with Madeline Weiss. She is trained social worker, board certified career and life coaching, mom of two kids, has five grandkids, and she's here today to share with us her expertise in stress and how to go from a stressed out mama to success in 2021 and beyond. 2020 is in the past, so we're 2021. And I'm so glad you're here, Madeline, to kick off the February month correctly with a Monday Mindset Coaching Call. And I'm going to turn it over to you. It is my pleasure to be here. Hello. So I am Madeline Weiss, a classically trained psychotherapist with an MBA in board certification and executive career and life coaching here today to walk you from stress to success in 2021 and beyond. I'd like you to ask yourself right now, scale of one to 10, just for fun, how stressed would you say you are? An eight. An eight. You are not alone, okay? And I promise you that by the end of today, you are going to have a single tool that takes less than 30 seconds to use. I like to think of it as your best friend forever. There's also a five-step strategy that we're going to go through. But for the immediacy of one's life, I love this other tool. And I promise I'm going to share it with you today. So let's look at what is stress. It's everything. Too much. Too much. Of everything. Um, I think the classic definition of stress is from the 1950s. The idea was that we are adapting to internal and external change all the time. If we didn't have the human capacity to do that, we would not have survived as a species. We wouldn't even be here. But sometimes It just gets to be more than we feel we have the capacity to manage. And I think a lot of people are really feeling that now. Now more than ever. Anybody identify with that look? Now more than ever, we are stressed. Even before the pandemic, this is my avatar. It's Madeline from the little book, the kid's book. So Madeline, she was not afraid of 
mice. She loved winter snow and ice. Chew the tiger in the zoo. Madeline just said poo-poo, and so did I too many times to my dad. So when he passed away suddenly from a stroke, when he was only 42 years old, I, of course, thought, because I was such a feisty little kid, that my father died of me until one day in the cemetery, my mother, in her shining moment as a mom, when I broke down to her about how all my fault I thought it was, she said, no, honey, it wasn't you. It was work. So now I help high achievers learn how to master their minds so they can have more hours in the day, more peace of mind, more freedom and fulfillment, maintaining and enjoying satisfaction and success in all areas of their lives, work, play, love, and life without burning out. And a while ago, well, actually, it wasn't that long ago. It was only over the last year, sometime during 2020, I said to myself, self, what is it that we're doing here that's helping my clients because they're also different from each other in age and gender and ethnicity and occupation? So what is it, I wondered, do they all have in common that's helping them get from there to where they want to be? And I decided after thinking that through and coming up with this five-step strategy that they all passed through, that I wanted to put that in a bottle, and that's the bottle. So this just launched. It's on Amazon.com for pre-order as we speak. If you go in by title, you have to use the dots, or you can just use my name. And the premise is this. A great life depends on a great fit between who we are and the environments, internal and external, in which we work and live. And the great has the dots because it's an acronym for those five steps. So if we unpack that, G is for grounding. That's the little engine that could. And it's grounding in the belief that we can have a great life, that it doesn't have to be like this, and that we have everything we need inside of us to make that so. When people come to me, they don't typically actually believe that. They're just hoping some of the pain will stop. So I like to hold that space for them because I do believe, because I've done it myself and because I've helped so many others do it, I do believe that it doesn't have to be like that and life can feel so much better. So I hold that space until they can step into it themselves. And as they go along this process, they begin to believe themselves. So of course, if a, a great life depends on a great fit between who we are and the environments in which we work and live, first we have to know who we are. So we have to recognize who we are, and that's what the R is for. And it turns out it's not always who everyone else thought you should be. It's not always who we may have even thought we should be. But the quiet, 
that comes through this process lets that bubble up from the inside. So it feels like what the buzzword is now your authentic you. I like to think of it as your best version of you. The E, once we know what really matters to us, the E is for exploring. People can dream about different careers and maybe people who aren't married would like to get married and have a family or vice versa sometimes. And so people usually enjoy the exploring phase, but we can't get stuck there because it's not sustainable forever to just be dreaming without, as they say, manifesting. And so the A is acting. William James said, action doesn't guarantee happiness, but there is no happiness without action. And then the tackling, the T, is tackling the normal, natural, inherent, expectable, predictable resistance to change. And for that, we need to know something about how the mind works. So this is an exercise that I uh, usually do with an audience. And the idea is, and you you can do this in your own head, imagine that this is you and you woke up and it's kind of a cloudy day and you know, you're feeling sort of gloomy, but you got to go wherever you got to go. It, it actually looks like it's going to rain. So you have your umbrella under your arm and you're walking down the street and you see someone, you know, and you go to wave and that person doesn't acknowledge. So Kylie, I'm going to shoot that to you. The person didn't acknowledge because why? Don't overthink. I don't know. (laughs) What would you think if you waved to somebody and they didn't wave back? They got a lot going on in their head. Right. So when this is done in person with a large audience, so somebody will say they have a lot going on in their head. Someone else will say, well, they didn't see me. People even say things like they don't like me. And Uh they take it personal. It has nothing to do with you personally. Who knows whether it does? They could be right. The point is the mind surmises. And when I get the first five different answers, and it happens all the time, it's always five different answers, I rest my case. And the case is that thoughts are not facts. They're events of the mind. And they vary from person to person. And I know my events of the mind are different in the morning than they may be at night. I might see something totally different when I'm full of energy than when I might be spent for the day. And so the more we have recurring even interpretations, the more we think they're facts. And why this matters is because our life is what our thoughts make it. So we have these eruptions of the mind. There's this, I always have my my pack of quotes here. This this one is actually from my book. It says, the sense organs send about 11 million bits of information per second to the brain for processing. 
You get that? 11 million bits of information go to the brain for processing, but the conscious mind can only handle about 50 bits out of the 11 million bits. This stunning gap between what is and our severely limited conscious awareness of what is should make us question how we think we know anything at all. So just because people think it, they think it's true. And when you realize that we made, we tried to make sense with 50 bits out of 11 million bits, it's kind of ludicrous. And then we shape our life with this thing we think is a fact that we made up in our head. I hope that's um, sobering and helpful. If people get nothing else from this, get that. Thoughts are not facts. And that is why it's really important to get a grip on the interpretations of the mind. So specifically, we accept rather than reject the interpretations of the mind, even though many of them are ludicrous and have no bearing in reality at all, if we reject them out of hand, what we resist persists. So it's better to let the thought come, maybe even consider it as an eruption of the mind and maybe do some reality testing, but not outright rejecting because then it will come back even stronger. And that we live in choice rather than habit as much as we do. So you could read this, accept choice, reject habit, and I don't mean it that way. So I want to clarify that. We don't want to learn how to ride a bike for the first time, like it's for the first time every time we get on a bike. So habit is really good. It's very efficient. But sometimes those habits, often of the mind and strategies, we, we can call them that, were put there by the five-year-old we used to be who was trying to figure out the family dynamics or the schoolyard, the kindergarten dynamics. So may be very cute, very smart, very helpful, trying real hard to help us get through the day in the best way we can. But it's like we have a five-year-old in charge of our life. And this is has a lot to do with what I call the misery gap. So the misery gap is the space between the way things are and the way your little five-year-old thinks things ought to be the bossy little five-year-old thinks things ought to be. And the bigger that space, the more opportunity there is for us to make all the misery of our lives all by ourselves. So I'm a fan of actually testing the external environment. Like if I think there's a a person or a policy or something that's um, troubling for me, I might ask if there are alternatives that can be considered. But after you've done that once, maybe twice, if you think you didn't say it right the first time or they were distracted and didn't hear you. But after a couple times, I like to assume that our interests are not the same and that there's probably not a lot of movement going to happen in that way. 
So most things and most of the leverage that we have actually is in the modifications inside ourselves that we make in our expectations and perceptions of the internal and external environment. So the more you can close the gap between the way things appear to be and the way you think they ought to be, the happier you'll be going down the line. So this is the brain doing its job. So you see in red there, um, they're really making some headway on the seat of consciousness the researchers, and I just think that's a really great graphic, so I wanted to share it with you, but good for them. There's new flashbacks in the cadaver lab and all sorts of other good stuff. I don't <laughs> want to remember. I actually, believe it or not, I can't even believe it. How I spent my summer vacation one year was in Wisconsin at Marquette University dissecting a brain so I could see what the amygdala, the all-important amygdala, uh-huh. actually looked like. So anyway, I'm really happy for the researchers and for all of us that they're making headway there. But that's their job. What's our job? you got to make it important for us, for us individuals. Yeah. So our job is to keep that thing as fit as we possibly can. People take care of their teeth and their cars and their kids and their plants and their pets and you name it. But how much time do we spend every day? How many times throughout? Taking care of our brains. Taking care of our brains. I didn't ever think of that. Why not? (laughs) I don't know. I honestly don't. We take care of our teeth, our spines, our, yeah, you're right. Our cars, our house, our, but we don't spend time taking care of our brains. Right? Almost like everything but. Yeah. And we need that. So like, I feel like, especially for the work that I do, that I'm an instrument for my client's use and that it's on me to keep the instrument as fit and fine-tuned and polished as possible so that I can serve my children all the people that I love Uh in the best possible way. And one of the things that is on each of us is this. So Viktor Frankl says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. A lot of us don't have a whole lot of that space. And to me, fitness is the ability to create that space. And I want to give you an example. Do you have any questions or comments before I get into this, Kylie? No, you got me captured with the whole, how do we, how do we work our brains? Yeah. Okay. Besides, you know, like taking tests and studying and. I used to have a thing when I would take finals that I I actually studied as an adult student in graduate school. I can't say I did this when I was younger because I didn't. But when it when I began to realize how much I loved to learn and how important it was for me to be able to do the kinds of things that I wanted to do, 
I really did buckle down and I used to study really hard. And then I had this mind thing. Before I started studying the mind, I had this mind thing, which was uh-huh. I would put everything I'd learned into a box, like a gift box. And then I would gift wrap it and put this really beautiful bow on it. And then I would take it to class in my mind, take it to class the next day and sit down and place it on the desk and unwrap unwrap the bow and very carefully like place everything on the desk. And I got it. That's cool. So anyway, I was looking for a graphic for this case example. And I had so much trouble finding, like I could find the fish running away from all the other fish. That wasn't it. And then I could find the fish going from here to nowhere by itself. And that wasn't it. So I actually had to piece together to get it the way I wanted to show you. So we'll call her Cassie. Cassie is is a wonderful, very independent woman. And when I met her, she was single, living alone, doing a job in space and defense that she wasn't happy in. So there there wasn't a whole lot going on that was very nourishing and exciting to her. But she kind of liked her independence. So she thought that's all she liked. So when she uh, began practicing some of these exercises that bring a quiet and let who we really are bubble up, she realized that she had sisters who had gotten married and had children. And even though it was all chaos with the kids running around all over the place, there was so much love. And the way she was in her bowl by herself, she actually thought she could never live with anyone. And over the course of the time that I have known her, by really acknowledging who she is, she found herself a wonderfully compatible, sounds like a great guy. She tried living with him. She had it set up so she had her own corner and her own bookcase so she could pretend she was by herself when she needed to be feeling like she was by herself. Long story short, she married him. She moved across the country, is in a completely different industry now, and is recently talking with me about her trepidation about having children, which tells us she's planning a family. <laughs> so, so cool. Yeah, so it, it, she's, she's, she's not the only, but she's a very... She's not the only example, but she's a very dramatic example of how someone's life can be transformed by knowing who she is deeply and then arranging the world around her to enhance that with her and for her. So I'm very proud of her. I'm very happy for her. I think if you want change, go after it. Yeah. Once you know who you are. Because otherwise, people can go for change for the sake of change, thinking anything has to be better than this. And if it's uh-huh. if it's not that fit that we're talking about, it's not going to be better than this. And in fact, she she realized that there was residue, there was remaining stuff to work on every time she made a big change. It brought up stuff that was still there for her to sort out. So 
we don't, it isn't like a surgical removal of the things that caused us problems. It's Robert Wright calls it knobs and tunings. So the knobs are all the human capacities we have, like uh-huh. dependence, a sense of belonging. And, you know, sometimes you want to turn the belonging up or down and the independence up or down. So we all have the capacities, but we need to get our hands on the dials so that we can navigate in a way that brings us fulfillment. So this is that exercise that I told you about, which I call power breathing. It's on the complimentary box pull down on my website at madelineweiss.com. And like I said, this is to me, this is everybody's best friend forever because it immediately kicks whatever it is up to the higher brain. So the higher brain is driving the bus. So when the amygdala is going nuts, and this is the hand model of the brain, when this thing is going nuts because it feels threatened by something or overly excited by something, it knocks the higher cortex, the executive functioning brain offline. And then you're not thinking straight. So what we need to do is we need to calm this so that the executive functioning brain can say to the lower agitated brain, I hear you. Thank you for sharing. I'll take care of it from here. And this exercise actually kicks it upstairs in exactly that way. And when I first, it's so much fun when I first teach it to people, there's this, um, a guy with a little ADD, kind of a racing mind that was driving him nuts. And when he first did it, he sat back and he went, wow, it was like a psychedelic drug. It's under 30 seconds and all you need to do is breathe in a particular way. And the particular way is diaphragmatic breathing. So what that means is typically when we inhale, we fill our lungs and raise our chest, and that actually makes us more anxious. So this is, we fill the belly, when we breathe in, we fill the belly like a balloon. And then when we exhale, we let it all the way out so the belly comes all the way back in. Mm -hmm. So again, there are instructions for that on the website. And if anybody has any questions about it, I'd be delighted to hear from you and go through it. If people like words better than pictures, it's belly out on the in-breath and belly in on the out-breath. And then I have this favorite question. After you kick it upstairs, the question is, is there something to be done here? You don't want to ask that question to the lower brain because you don't want that thing, like I said, driving the bus. But after you've calmed and you put the executive functioner online, you can say, is there something to be done here? Sometimes, yeah, but not by you. Sometimes, yeah, but you already did it. Sometimes uh, the answer is no, in which case we take another few breaths and then move on. This is another exercise that's on the website. It's a fuller meditation There's something called the movie room. You know how I was telling you about the 11 million bits? And we Uh make 
and we make up stories and then we live in them like they're true and they shape our whole entire lives. So this is an exercise to get a grasp, a little more insight into what your own story is that you're living inside of your head. And then one of our survival strategies is to know the difference between what we can eat and what can eat us. And so we have a tendency to separate things into good and bad, and then we respond accordingly. But the world is really much more nuanced than that. So again, the knobs and the tunings, we all have the capacity for discernment, but this is an exercise to help us slow it down a little bit so we don't make the kinds of automatic judgments that sometimes lead us astray. And then there's another one that's focus and release. People have a very hard time putting down one activity and moving to the next activity. And so what that means is we're like carrying this big, heavy sack of rocks around all day long, one activity, and then the residue from that into the next activity. And then people wonder why they're tired later in the day. So this this really helps learn how to focus into flow what you're doing and then to be able to release it. This was a very hard one for me to learn because I always felt like I'm a finished. Walk us through the breathing strategy. So like, like teach me the breathing strategy right now. The, the power breathing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So if you, if you guys are listening to this, wherever Love. you are, just take a pause for a minute, 30 seconds, and let's breathe. Let's breathe correctly. And that is by lifting your belly out and in. Um, I have been, I have heard, and Madeline, you can correct me if I'm wrong. We used to be belly breathers way back in the day. But then it became so popular to have to like suck in your stomach, so you yeah. had a flat tummy, and you not you never like with the corset and that with that French Revolution, they would tighten the stomach so much that you then had to learn how to breathe, just how we breathe now. And if you think about it, as you sit there and breathe, your stomach's not going in and out because it's so naturally we just do it through the chest. When in reality, it should be stomach in and out but we don't want that appearance of I'm a I have a stomach right you know I'm always tempted to make a joke that I'm so like I'm loving that you're saying that because I'm always on the verge of making this joke women don't want to do this I wonder if it's more so for women than for men because the men didn't wear the the corsets I also heard that babies breathe well and then somewhere along the way they convert so there's more to learn about this but i Uh heard that i where it transforms and why where and why and the corset and the belly thing makes so much sense so thank you i heard somewhere along the lines that's why we we chest breathe we don't belly breathe anymore that's so amazing. All right. Feet flat on the ground. Thank you for sharing that. It's fascinating. If you have a reference for it, I'd love to have it. All right. Oh, I have no idea where I heard it. <laughs> it might just be one of those urban myths because it makes so much sense. All right. Yeah, it could be. So feet flat on the ground. Top of the head parallel with the sky. I'm already feeling more relaxed. 
I know. Close your eyes and just like drift your body and fall asleep. Nowhere to go, nothing to do, but to be here now. And then we're going to begin to take our breaths. Belly out on the in-breath. We're going in through the nose and also out through the nose. Belly out on the in-breath. Belly in on the out-breath. And some people say to make the out-breath longer by a few beats than the in-breath. So try that and then come back into the room. How is that? I like it. When my mother was dying, I got this jaw pain. And I went out into the hallway to do this breathing. And I remember the nurses saying to me, are you okay? And I said, well, I'm either having a heart attack or I'm anxious and this breathing is going to help me. And if you see me on the floor, you could take me to cardiology. I would appreciate it. <laughs> but I did the breathing and it actually it, uh, centered and calmed me. Nice. Melanie, before we finish up here, I know your your health history is pretty pretty uh, unique and intensive. Um, give us, if you don't mind, a brief detailed a brief history of your health health history, and then how you changed your mindset to overcome it. My primary care doctor said to me once, "You're a train wreck on paper, and then you walk into the office like ta-da." I'm here. I don't think I changed my mindset to overcome it. I think my mindset was my aid in overcoming it. People used to say to me that they would have been freaking out if they had to go through what I had to, like when the doctor went home, he was supposed to take me to the OR and he forgot. He was tired and went home went to sleep and I'm sitting there and waiting and waiting and waiting. I had 10 trips to the OR and they were gruesome and brutal and I was waiting and my brother was visiting and he said, how do you, how do you like remain calm like that? And I remember I was already studying Advaita Vedanta pre-Hindu tradition for a number of years before that happened. So I already had mindset training. And I just put one foot in front of the other. They have this saying, meet the need that is before you. So that's what I did, whatever I had to do, one foot in front of the other. And I don't know, it it worked. That's I what I always like to say, like, stay focused in the moment. When, when I'm running a business, when I've got a million things going on, and even with school, with school, we would have 35 credits at a time. That was just a popular quarter load. And you would take five, seven, 10 tests a week. Finals week came around like the week before my wedding. I took 22 exams in five days. Oh my God. And then I, the next day I flew home. I was in Oregon, flew back to Utah. And then on Tuesday we got married. So it was like this crazy eight day period of my life. And I remember one time my, my fiance, now husband, we were sitting in the in my apartment 
at the table. I was forcing myself to eat because you know you have to eat when you're so stressed. You don't want to eat, but you have to feed your brain somehow. So he was like, well, how many more tests do you have to go? I said, it doesn't matter how many more tests I've t- I have. It doesn't matter how many tests I've taken. The only test that matters is the next one. Oh, yeah. Good for you. And it's that way with life is and if you're going to make it through whatever XYZ trial, like it doesn't matter what what you have next Monday. What matters is the moment right now, the next one. You meet the need that is before you. Yes. Perfect. It's all very... I'm write that down. My, my list, my... My note taking here for this is getting quite lengthy. Well, there are so many simple truisms. If we if we just live by them, one of my other favorites is you cannot be that which you can observe. So that means, and this is important, I think, for your work in your world, that means you are not this body. People get overly identified with their bodies and sort of sink into the malaise of whatever is imperfect about the instrument that they inhabit. But you can observe this body, then who is doing the observing? And that's all the proof we need when you consider that, that we are not this body because someone is observing the body. So there's a self separate from that. And that is, it's hard to wrap one's head around that, but that's the most powerful part of all this teaching, especially when when people are worried about their physical bodies, and which mm-hmm. just makes them sicker. Yeah. They really need to remember, we, we are not this body. We are something else. As a temporary... Okay, any closing comments? Let's talk about your book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I forget that. I know. This was um, the book launched yesterday. There is so much to do when one is launching a book, press, press releases, and all sorts of things like that. So, actually, um, doing this with you today on behalf of your audience and remembering why I'm here and why I'm doing what I'm doing was really nice for me. But yeah, the book. So the book. Yeah. So it's, um, it's an embodiment speaking of the body of the kinds of things that we've been talking about today. And it has chapters on everyday issues that matter to us, like time and money and love and all kinds of things like that in there from the perspective of evolutionary psychology and brain science and some of the spiritual kinds of things that we've been talking about. So I hope people will have a look at it. It's on amazon.com. And if you put... What's the name of it? The name of it is Getting Took Great... G dot R dot E dot A dot T dot. You have to use the dots if you put the title in. Yeah. And if you use my name, it's Madeline Claire Weiss. And it's on I'll there. I'll put the links in the comments below. Yeah. So it, it expounds into the great concept, the grounding, recognizing, exploring, acting, tackling. Yes. 
Cool. Fine. All right. I'm excited to share that. I'm happy for you. It's a writing a book is always a huge endeavor. We finally get it published. I, one day I'll know how it feels. I hope so. It's and you know, it it was really moving when when it went up. I had this feeling like I can die now because because <laughs> everything everything I wanted to convey is there for now anyway. And I feel awesome. I feel good All about right, guys, it. check it out. Getting to great. G dot R dot E dot A dot T dot by Madeline Weiss. What was your middle name? Claire. C L Claire Weiss. Yes, C L A I R E. Love to all. Thanks, Madeline. Okay. Bye bye, honey. And that's a wrap. Now, I would ask one thing of you. Will you please write a review? I would be very grateful for it. And after you write your review, in fact, I'm going to give you access to my 60-minute thyroid workshop, Why Are My Thyroid Labs Normal Yet I Feel Like Crap, for free on me, simply for just taking a couple minutes and writing us a review so somebody else can find it and learn more about answers, healing, and hope from those normal labs just like you are. So once again, please leave a review and then go to drkylieburton.com backslash Crack your thyroid code and you've got access to the 60-minute thyroid workshop on me for free. Thank you.